Good morning. Happy Monday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. We got a very busy Monday uh, coming up. I'm going to dig straight into today's Q&A. This is actually a, a question that I, that I took from email, um, and it comes from Brian, who had a question about McGill's Big Three. If you're not familiar with uh, McGill's Big Three, that would be uh, the side bridge or side plank variation, the supported curl up, and the bird dog progressions that you'll see throughout uh, Stuart McGill's books. I highly recommend these books. Um, low back disorders, ultimate back fitness and performance. I think he's got a couple other ones, but those would be the, the, the big ones that I would suggest that you purchase and read. Anyway, Brian's question is, I've been reading a lot about McGill's Big Three for lower back pain. I was wondering if you had a perspective on those exercises as they relate uh, to your model. Yes, I do. Um, first and foremost, I, I think that just like any other exercises, there are prerequisites that are required to effectively perform an exercise, and McGill's Big Three is, is uh, no exception to that rule. Miguel's Big Three uh, would be categorized in my model as middle propulsive activities. That means that we've got to have a very strong internal rotation representation available to us. And so if we take our little pelvis here, <clears throat> what we're going to want to be able to see is we're going to be able to see the shape change that takes place in the pelvis to capture our internally rotated representation with the nutated sacrum. Uh, nutated sacrum. If we're in this ER representation, then the success of those exercises is going to be compromised rather significantly. Um, so again, we have to have an early and a late representation of internal rotation. So the early representation of internal rotation is a distal to proximal acceptance, acceptance of, of the internal rotation, and then a production of internal rotation from proximal to distal in the late representation. And so if we don't have both of those, then the execution of the, ex of the exercises are virtually impossible uh, without a compensatory strategy. Um, so if we looked at the, the setups of these, these exercises, so if you start with the side bridge, um, as you're setting up into the exercise, you're going to have to establish this early representation of internal rotation. Um, and then as you lift up into the side bridge, that's where we're going to produce the late representation of internal rotation. So again, we have to have both representations of internal rotation to even execute the exercise. If we look at the curl up, we have a similar situation here where we have the extended extremity, which is in our late representation. But because we have a, a bent hip on the other side, because we have a ground contact with the foot, we've got to have that early representation of the foot on the ground, which is a superimposition of internal rotation. So again, we've got internal rotation on both sides that we have to be able to, to successfully acquire. Bird dog, no exception. We've got a bent hip on one side, which is the support knee. That's going to be our early representation of internal rotation. We've got the extended or ugh, I hate saying that. The extended hip on the other side um, is also internally rotated. That's our late representation. So again, again, early and late, always represented in these activities. So the advantage here is knowing that we need to acquire all of these internal rotations, we can now use these exercises as the 
assessment as to whether these people can actually acquire it. So what we're going to see is the most common compensations that we'll have for substitutions for internal rotation. Typically we're going to see some anterior orientation. If we can't acquire the internal rotation then we're also going to see the ER compensatory strategy. In the side bridge you're going to see the anterior orientation. It's much easier to see this from the side view where you can see the anterior orientation and then um, from the front you're going to see the external rotation of the hips. So this is the inability to keep the knees together as you're moving up into this side bridge position. In the curl up same kind of a thing. We're going to see an anterior orientation. With the McGill curl up you're placing the hands um, in the, the small of the low back and if we're using the anterior orientation as the substitution for internal rotation what you're going to have is you're going to have a, an excessive space there so chances are um, you won't be able to make hand contact with the lower back under most situations without having to bear down which is what you don't want to do um, as a substitution for this this anterior orientation not the good substitution for that you'll also see the external rotation of the hip um, primarily you're going to see this in the in the extended uh, extremity mainly because you're going to actually turn the entire pelvis into ER on both sides but you're going to be able to maintain the ground contact using a compensatory strategy on that that right foot so it's going to seem like you've got the internal rotation on one side but you can't capture on the other when the reality is you're ERing most likely on both sides and then if we go into the bird dog it's very easy to see the anterior orientation again much like the side bridge you'll see that anterior orientation from the side view and then you'll see the external rotation of the hip um, if you stand posteriorly, you'll see the rotation of the hip. And again, this is extra rotation on both sides, even though it's going to be more pronounced on the unsupported uh, hip, if you will. So Brian, I hope that's helpful for you so you can see that there are definitely prerequisites that are required to execute the, the McGill's Big Three. We've got a lot of information up on YouTube as to how you can reacquire this middle propulsive strategy, internal rotation, and then successfully transfer these to any number of exercises. Everybody have an outstanding Monday, and I will see you tomorrow. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. I have Neuro Coffee in hand, and it is perfect. Man, as usual, a very busy Tuesday. we got to dig straight into today's Q&A. Uh, this is with Zach, and Zach is working with an athlete that transitioned from from swimming to running is experiencing uh, a diagnosis of, of posterior tibial stress syndrome uh, aka shin splints in its common name um, basically what you're looking at under these situations is is a lack of distributed yielding capabilities within the connective tissues and so there's there's two extremes you're either going to see a situation where you're in an overcoming situation with the connective tissues and therefore not getting the distributed yield and therefore you're relying on a very specific tissue as as the source of yielding action or you've exhausted all of the yielding capabilities of the tissues and once again you're relying on a very specific tissue to provide the yielding yielding action and so you're going to have to determine which situation you're, you're dealing with, which is why you can't cookbook this thing. You can't just say, oh, here's the shin splints program and just follow this and you'll be fine. Um, because if you give somebody the wrong situation, then um, you have no resolution of symptoms. 
and then an ongoing problem that doesn't resolve. Once you have resolved symptoms, so Zach did a great job with that, immediately re reduced symptoms, what we need to do is restore the distributed yield and capabilities as the athlete is producing force. So, so there's, there's two parts to this. It's alleviating the symptoms and then restoring the normal movement behaviors that would be associated with performance. And so Zach is now in that phase of the situation. We kind of talk our way through this. This also relates to a video I did recently um, where we're talking about capturing hip internal rotation, um, especially for a, for a narrow ISA. We've got a very small space within which we can capture this middle internally rotated high force producing representation. And so we, we need to do that in a very specific manner. So if you need to go to the YouTube channel and take a look at, there's a 13 exercise sequence I believe that I used to capture uh, a hip internal rotation to transition somebody from say ground-based activities um, towards the return to performance, which would be more high speed, high force like sprinting. Um, so again, check that out. If you would like to participate in a 15 minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Please put 15 minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. Also include your question in the email. Everybody have an outstanding Tuesday and I will see you tomorrow. So I was hoping to kind of run through um, a little bit like case study for an athlete I had come in for an eval a couple weeks ago. Um, so just like the quick history for her. Um, she's a freshman in high school, um, came to me with a diagnosis of posteromedial tibial stress syndrome, um, started back in mid-February as she was transitioning from swim to track. Um, basically to the point of over a week where like she couldn't walk between classes without pain. Um, that persisted for probably about a month and a half before they finally went to see a doctor. She was kind of just doing like rest, heat, compression with the athletic trainer at school, um, but it wasn't getting better. Shocker. She finally wound up with me um, pretty much like two weeks ago to the day. Um, narrow ISA. Um, pretty much like very headed over on that right side. It's, it's the, the symptoms are on the right side and her center of gravity is definitely over that right foot. Gotcha. Besides the loss of relative motion, the only really other finding was just like extreme tenderness along the tibial crest, kind of just like along the line. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I understand. Mm -hmm. yep. yep. So basically where I started with her um, was just trying to get center of gravity off the right side. It was actually relatively easy um in terms of just like her adaptability that she pretty much got her relative motions back within the course of one session uh -huh. um, i was a bit surprised in a positive way about like the trajectory of her symptoms um in that within a few days she was completely pain-free um like walking around no pain at night um i guess for the sake of my ego i'll attribute that to the restoration of relative motion but i'm not sure there's a million other things that why that could have happened then um yep. So I guess where I'm hoping to get your opinion and guidance, and this is definitely the part that I get more stuck with for a lot of my patients is now like the training part of it. Um, yep. As far as she's trying to get back to track and then she's got soccer in the fall. So there's a lot of yep. running intensive stuff. Yep. Um, I'm trying to figure out in terms of like balancing the rates of loading and early versus late and magnitudes of like, what's my starting point? How do I know when she's ready to transition from one to the next? Is it based off of symptoms? Is it like a demonstration of competency? Whatever we deem kind of like she, uh -huh. she needs to do with movement. Um, uh -huh. So I kind of like want to start that conversation a little bit. Okay. So, so in your professional opinion, 
<clears throat> why was she symptomatic in the first place? Um, so, so like what, what was the, what was the representation that she walked in with? Was it like, was she stuck in, in like an early representation? Was she, was she living somewhere in the middle or was she somewhere late? So she was late on the right side. Okay. So if you're late, um, as a representation of the, of the, uh, muscular component of the lower leg where she was symptomatic, what would be the representation of, of, of or the muscle orientation and then the connective tissue behavior in that position once mm -hmm. So connective tissue would be um, like an overcoming strategy. Awesome. And then, so what would be the muscle orientation? Um, more of like a concentric orientation. Awesome. Okay. So, and then you, and then you, you restored the relative motion, correct? And she got better really fast. Yep. Okay. So what did you change the initial, initial representation from to? So allowed the muscle to turn the area to the opportunity to eccentric orient. Okay. So you got our middle. I guess early. You think, you think, and I'm just, I'm not, I'm not passing judgment. I'm just saying it's like, okay. So hang on. So did you get her into like an earlier representation, do you think? Yes. So that would be concentric yielding. Uh, right, right, right. Okay. So you gave her a distributed yield. That's, that's efficiency of energy storage and release. So where she was before was in a situation where the connective tissues were, were too stiff to promote that. And so she had to use whatever she had to create the yielding action because you still have to have it somewhere, right? And then she just decided that, okay, well, let's, let's use the periosteum. Let's, let's, let's just use that as my yielding uh, strategy, right? As my yielding action instead of having this distributed connective tissue behavior, right? And so when I get the focal, focal stress, that's why you get the pain, mm -hmm. okay? Cool, so do you think she's gonna have to use those tissues um, when she decides that she's gonna be a land mammal instead of a water-based animal, right? Um, and, and she's gonna have to bounce across the ground. Do you think she's gonna have to use those tissues too? Yes. Okay, so, so but, but what you want is the ability to distribute this yield, right? And then change muscle orientation, middle, and then use the leg. So I still gotta go early, middle, leg, okay? She, she's already got a late representation that you know that she's probably gonna be able to capture. I just don't want her to get, get so biased in one direction that that's all she does. So you've captured early. Now you gotta teach her how to change muscle orientation, um, restore normal connective tissue behaviors in, in that middle representation where the higher force is going to be applied, right? Okay. So you always wanna make sure that she can recapture her earlies. And then you gotta start moving her towards middle. Now, she's narrow ISA, correct? Correct. Okay, does she have a really big middle space? No. Okay, so that means you got very little time to expose her to middle representations. Okay. Um, she's going to run across the ground. She is. Perfect. So um, how long do you think her middle is going to be if she's running across the ground and she's narrow ISA? Brief. Correct. So now, you know, you have a timing issue. 
as you're trying to restore her middle representations. So um, not that you would, you would ignore maximum efforts in force production, right? That's kind of important, but how you expose her to that now becomes the, the important part of the strategy. Okay. Do you want her to do, do you want her to do box squats with chains on the bar? No. Why not? Because that's going to hold her down in, in middle of that force. It's going to prolong the middle representation, right? Yep. Okay. So not that you're not going to worry about force production, but, but again, it's like you just don't want things that are going to, to expand that time frame, right? So you work um, in, in a shorter uh, amplitude, right? Right? And then you gradually induce the connective tissue behavior from an energy standpoint. So it's like, you're not gonna take the rubber band, you're not gonna try to pull it back as hard as you possibly can at first. You gotta teach her how to oscillate within a smaller range and then you expand the oscillations, always keeping the time constraint reduced. Did, so you, happen to, did you happen to see the video of the 13 exercise progression that I just posted recently? I did not. Boy, and you're on this call. Uh, I'll see myself. Okay, thumbs up. Who saw the Who saw the 13 exercises in sequence? Everybody oh, but Zach. Okay, cool. <laughs> I was gonna say I couldn't believe you could move like that. <laughs> oh, that that I can move like that? Yeah, I was like, wow. Okay. So, uh, Dale, uh, yeah. inside inside secret here is uh, <laughs> those are the only 13 moves that I can actually do. <laughs> So so what I did is I, I did a representation of, of how you would capture the, the middle representation. So capturing internal rotation in, in, progressive, in a progressive manner um, in regards to force production and then the time constraint and then the element of uh, propulsion. Well, that seems perfect for this conversation. So well, it, 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 it kind of is. Now, here's the thing. Don't turn it into a cookbook because right, right, it's not right. a cookbook. What 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 I what I did is I just gave representations of what you may need. And so if you if you can consistently get get her relative motions of you know available to her, then then you're capturing this early representation. Now you got to teach her how to produce force. My other concern is the fact that she's a swimmer, which and if she's a really good swimmer, that might make her less of a runner. That is, I think that is just kind of like a winter activity for her. It's, she's much more geared towards the track and soccer side of things. And so I think she just does okay. that to keep herself good. Busy. And you've got a much better shot. You've got a much better shot at, at restoring the force production then. But, but in, in all seriousness, it's like to, to save us an element of, of time and discussion, watch that, okay? And then, and then maybe come back with questions because it will, it will stimulate thought. That, that's the goal of that, of that video. It's not to tell people what to do. It's, it's just to give you a representation of, oh, this is how I might capture that middle in a very small space. Good morning, happy Wednesday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect, all right. Well, today is Wednesday. That means that tomorrow's Thursday, which means 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, coffee and coaches conference call as usual. Great Q&A, great people. 
grab yourself a cup of coffee. Please join us at 6 a.m. Link will be on my professional Facebook page just prior to the call uh, tomorrow morning. Again, Thursday, 6 a.m. Digging into today's Q&A. This is a great conversation with uh, Dale. Dale is a big, strong human being. Um, he and I grew up in the same area. We get along really, really well. We get to talk about the same people because we knew all these people as we were coming up. And uh, But anyway, Dale's working on some things in regards to relative motion. This, this question actually unpacks a lot of concepts. Concentric orientation and the limitation in, in expansion. Um, anterior, posterior compressive strategies. Um, the limitations that are associated with scapular retraction activities. So things are not as they are cracked up to be or, or what people perceive them to be. So scapular retraction um, can create interference. That is an anterior posterior uh, compressive strategy as well. Um, trying to stretch a concentrically oriented muscle, um, stiffness of connective tissues. I mean, we covered the gambit in this, in this one question. So thank you, Dale, for bringing all this stuff up. It's gonna be very useful for a lot of people. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Please put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. Please include your question in the email. We will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. I will see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., Coffee and Coaches Conference Call. Just because of some, some stuff we talked about, I understand that my femurs are definitely out this way. and It's really noticeable when I squat down deep air squat-wise, right? What I've been do what I've been doing lately is sled pulling with a big toe strap around the top of the hip, with toes pointing a little bit in. Uh huh. Right. Uh huh. Trying to open up more of the. Are you walking forward? Backwards. Oh, backwards. Okay. Backwards. Okay. Backwards. Right. And where the VLs were really concentric, there are a lot. A lot calmed down at this point in time uh-huh, uh-huh. and the vmos that were uh, a little inactive are definitely more active and it seems to be opening me up and starting to get me in the right direction okay. i'm not sure if i'm crazy or if oh you're that crazy is, uh, <laughs> normal hey dale yeah normal people don't squat 700 pounds just so you know <laughs> just saying well i don't anymore so i i, I try to keep well, it down no, Dale, your PR is always, what is it, 758? What was it? 793. 793? 83. 783. Well, you should still round up to 800. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> okay. So I just, I wasn't, I guess it got me thinking about whether that strategy was correct to go along with another strategy that I wanted to employ, but I wanted to see if I was going the right direction. Uh-huh. Well, it's, I mean, based on your description, it sounds like you're moving in the right direction, right? Okay. I mean, if you're, if you're able to capture, so, so the, the way that you're going to recognize this is, is you're going to be able to superimpose the internal rotation on the external rotation, right? That's, that's, that's the tell, right? So um, does, your, does your squat representation in the IR position, okay, uh, can you squat with your feet closer together than you have in the past? That would be indicative of the fact that you're starting to, to access more internal rotation in that position. That's well, I mean, that's yeah. Probably- well, I, I guess so. I split it up to where one day a week I'm doing wide, one day I'm doing front squats. And uh-huh. so, and I'm not, they're not as close together for the front as I would like, but they've definitely gotten better. And my, my depth is a lot better. Lines well, are good. 
Okay, so, so for us to improve, you've got to have more access to the internal rotation to pass through that 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 range, right? Yeah. So, it, like I said, it sounds like you're on the sounds like you're on the right track. So let's bring it up to the thorax. So I haven't yeah. technically tried this yet, but it got me thinking because I know that I'm here. <laughs> I know that I'm more open, right? I mean, yeah. Them and, and, you know, it's, just, it's obvious. Yeah, you're just, um, you're just oriented into ER. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. the, the question would be, you know, doing a, a seated row where you're compressed in the front with a bench and you brought your hands around, you know, uh, light and breathing, you know, and, yeah. and like more like a, a reaching movement, but with some compression here, would that be a good strategy to try to open well, the back? Um, okay, so so uh, do you think you're concentrically oriented posteriorly? Yes. Do you think that you're getting anterior compression when you're laying on the bench? Yes. Okay, so would that enhance what you're trying to do? I would say yes. Okay, so so I'm squishing you from the front and I'm squishing you from the back, and that that's what your hope is is that you're no. going to create a return. No. Uh, okay. So, so I would say that, that it's probably not going to enhance what you want it to do. Okay. Just because you're creating an anterior posterior compression on an anterior posterior compression. Okay. But yet there's people that, that claim and say, well, I did chest supported rows and my shoulders started to feel better. Mm -hmm. Right. And so then you have to say, well, why did they start to feel better? Because number one, they weren't you. They may have had posterior expansion capabilities, but they were anteriorly compressed. So they lay on something that already compresses them. They compress the backside. They create a reorientation that gives them access to another space to move into. Now, it's not ideal necessarily, but they do have more space to move into. In your situation, I would, and I'm not saying yes, and I'm not saying no, because again, I, I want you to feel good. And if it makes you feel good, I'm not going to stop you. But the point is, is like when you think about the, the desired outcome, to create an anterior compression and a posterior compression simultaneously because a retraction activity is like, oh, if, yeah. even if, if you're just doing a bent over row mm -hmm. and not compressing with the bench, I give you the same answer. Anytime yeah. you do, anytime that you do a retraction based activity, that mm -hmm. is an anterior posterior compression. Okay. It has to be to get yeah. the scapulae into that. Position. Yeah, I, okay. I, I, yeah, yeah, and I would, I that's why that's you know, dude, that's why bent over rows help your back squat, right? Because mm -hmm. it helps you create more compression anterior and posterior, right? Mm -hmm. That's why it helps your bench press because it increases the compression anterior and posterior, you know. And so, so when what you're going to have to understand is that is that the high force strategies are not the solution right assuming you're trying to gain relative emotions right well i guess i wasn't thinking, i guess in my head i wasn't thinking about the concentric part i was thinking more about the, the reaching and stretching part more than okay the, but that so hang on dude hang on yeah. dude okay so as you're reaching and stretching do you think that those muscles are somehow eccentrically oriented when they're under load no no. no, they're not. Do you think those connective tissues are letting go no. easily? No, no, no. There's going to be an element of stiffness that's going to be maintained, especially at your, at your level of development. Again, you're in superhero level development here, 
right? You've got stiff tissues, right? That are going to behave in that manner a great deal. You're going to use your skeleton a lot because that's how you've lifted gigantic heavy weights. And so, so again, this is a, this is an old representation. Like people think that, oh, I'm moving into like, I'm eccentrically oriented in those back muscles. So therefore I'm getting expansion. It's like, they're not eccentrically orienting like you're maintaining a great degree of concentric orientation because you've got a bunch of load in your hands. Okay. So, so we're playing with matters of degree here, right? If you were doing like a, a 45 pound cable row, we'd, we might be able to have a different discussion, but I'm guessing you got a couple hundred pounds minimum in your hands. No, I guess, but I, I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking more about, about I've, for the last six months, I've been since I've been following you, I've been doing more lighter work, trying to get more relative motion. Even in my sled poles, they're light relative, right? Okay. So that so, so here's so here's a little cue, and then I gotta go. Okay, um, the the ease with which you can take a breath as you are exercising is going to give you a frame of reference as to how much compressive strategy you're using. Yeah. Good morning, happy Thursday. I have NeuroCoffee in hand and it is perfect. Uh, how does relative motion uh, change? For example, how does getting air into the anterior thorax increase internal rotation? What changes have to happen in the tissue? Maybe you can explain in, the, in muscles for it to be easier to understand. Or maybe what uh, shame change has to happen in the thorax? Okay. So we have to, we have to clarify this. So when we talk about the, the expansion anteriorly. That represents the potential for internal rotation. As you internally rotate, that area will compress. Okay. So as you're performing the internal rotation, that has to... It, it, so for instance, if I'm looking at a shoulder for internal rotation, it's easy, easy yeah. one to see. So I would have to have anterior expansion in the thorax to have access to the space that I would be turning into. As I turn into that space, it compresses. And that's why shoulder motion eventually stops. Otherwise, your shoulder would spin all the way around, right? Yeah. So, so, so the, the, the shape of the thorax provides the space and then the shape change that allows this, this scapula to rest in a, in a very specific position, which puts the joint in a very specific position, which puts the fluid inside the joint in a very specific position to allow that motion to occur, right? Because I, I have to have the, I, I, I will move towards that expansion, but as I move into that space, it will compress. So if we were talking about um, shifting your center of gravity forward and we're talking about the pelvis, right? If my center of gravity is too far forward, I, I push back against myself to hold myself over my feet, over my base of support, okay? If I, if I am far enough forward and I've compressed myself back to stay on my feet, then I would not have that representative internal rotation because I don't have the expansion in that direction. I don't have the shape that allows the joints to move in that direction. So it's a sequence of events. It's a shape change in the axial skeleton that places the extremity in a, sp in a specific position that allows you access to those motions. 
okay? If you, if you take a towel and you twist it as tight as you can, okay? Mm -hmm. You can't twist it any tighter. If I untwist the towel, if I start with an untwisted towel, I can twist it a lot. So the untwisted towel is the expansion. The twisted towel is the compressed representation. So if I wanna be able to move into a space, I have to be able to create the space first. That's why, that's why you have to expand anteriorly for internal rotation, posteriorly for the external rotation. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that part where you explain that everything has to be in the position um, for it to happen. Yeah, that helps a right. lot. Right. If there's if there's no space to move into, then then you don't move into that space. I mean, it just it just doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. You're changing shape as you move. That's the one thing that you have to you have to sort of recognize. It's not like it, when you have anterior expansion. It gives you access to internal rotation, but as you move into that actively, then that space starts to disappear. But that's why we all have limitations in how we move, right? That's why when you measure somebody on the table, they have a there, there's an average amount of movement that we would make um, comparisons to, and then everybody has their own little idiosyncratic range of motion based on that. Good morning, happy Friday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, man, very busy Friday. Digging straight into today's Q&A. This was Zach. Zach had a really good question. He's had a number of athletes that have been showing up with an excessive or an unexpected amount of internal rotation, especially in the hip. Um, this is typically going to show up on, on your narrow, side, narrow ISA individuals, um, which he has noticed as well. And we sort of break down as to why this occurs when we have somebody that's got a center of gravity that's shifted way forward where they shouldn't have any internal rotation. So it's got to come from somewhere else. So it's definitely not in the hip. It's definitely not in the pelvis because you have a pelvis that's behaving as a single bone under these circumstances without relative motions. And so we break this down as to how it occurs. And then I give a nice little demo at the end, which is um, kind of uh, silly and cute and probably easy to understand. So I'm hoping that that works out for you as well. Um, we threw a little bit of uh, Ian in here at the end because Ian's been working on, on some spinal stuff in the background uh, of things. And so again, we appreciate him for his participation as well. So thank you, Zach. Thank you, Ian. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Please put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so we don't delete it. Include your question in the email. We will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everyone have an outstanding Friday. Podcast will be up on Sunday. Have a great weekend. I'll see you next week. I think I got a quick one, just like a chessboard interpretation question. Um, so I recently had a run of narrow ISAs um, that like their ER measures are just like really tough. Like they just, like it seems like they just have a ton of ER, but if you narrow in, it seems like the pelvis is moving a little bit, but I'm more focused on the IRs with them um, for the sake of this question that their right IRs are less than the left. Um, I'm thinking hit primarily. Um, for a narrow to get to the point where the right IR is less than the left, um, is that either an orientation on the, of the left and nominate 
like into anterior orientation or the lumbar spine turning away. That's good because the because presumably they should have gone forward on the left first before the center of gravity started going right. So they should have lost the left IRs first. So then I'm just thinking, how do they get back to the point where now the left IR is greater than the right? Um, where's where's the IR coming from? Is it the lumbar spine? <laughs> okay. It ain't in the pelvis and the hip, okay? Right. You understand that, right? Yes, that. Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah. But then, then it's like, okay, how far up, how far superior to where I'm actually taking the measure? Where is that turn? Gotcha. So maybe may even be going higher than the lumbar spine. Uh-huh. So presumably if I've got if I've got a narrow that's showing a, a decent gradient of more IR on the left than the right, potentially you could say they're just like further into compensation land. You could, you could, you, I think you could say that with a high level of confidence. So, so, so let's just think about this progressively. Okay. So left side of the pelvis goes, goes, um, it's anteriorly oriented. Okay. ER starts to drop off. Center of gravity starts to go forward on the left. IR starts to drop off because of the anterior compression. But I hit the constraint. Okay. So they can't go, the center of gravity can no longer go forward. I should have no internal rotation whatsoever. But I still have to push into the ground. Orientation starts to increase. So the pelvis is already one piece. It cannot, it can no longer produce relative motions. So it starts to anteriorly orient more. That's going to turn the spine away. Okay. If it's a narrow ISA, where are they going to start turning? You say like what level? Yes, sir. Uh, oh, this was the top down or bottom up question. <laughs> yes. Uh, say, it, Taya. say it, Taya. Say it, Help him out. She In the it. upper part yeah. of the so it's, it's top and down. It's top down, right? Okay. So segment by segment. Right? So L1, L2, L3. Okay. Now think about this for a sec. Where else might I see that exact same turn? Cervical spine. How about that? So imagine the cervical spine influencing your hip measure. Well, I feel like with a lot of my athletes, I see it's, it's even more exaggerated. Um, I think we talked about just the shoulder measures, the weight of the extremity. Uh -huh. more, but like a lot of them, they just, they're a left shoulder IR just flops straight down to 90. Like it's no problem. Yeah, yeah. And you're going like, how is like, that even possible? You shouldn't do that based on everything. You should else. not do that. You're you're absolutely correct. Yeah, and that and that's and that's kind of that's part of your tell as to why you go. Why do I have this magnified hip IR? And then you go up to the shoulder and you go, Oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, everything. Yep. 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 Right. So, yeah, yeah. But but it again that gives you your 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 big clue. It's like okay, this is this is kind of a big deal. Um, Lex, so what's the temperature? You might want to tell you what I'm going to mute Don. There we go. Thanks, Don. What is the temperature, Don? Let us know. Uh, okay. Where was I? IR. Okay. So you've got, so you've got to think about how you're going to reorient this person, right? To get the left side of the pelvis to, to, to reduce its anterior orientation. It's like, I got to bring them all the way over right? I got to move them from right to left as the priority. 
then I can bring the left side back. You see it? Yeah. So, so I know in the past we've talked, like, let's say you've got a significant bilateral anterior orientation um, before, like we even think like not even saying wide or narrow, but before we think about moving this like back, right. Whatever. It's just right. That there, there, first. You, correct. You, you have that, no pelvic relative motion. So let's specify it to a narrow now where their center gravity is over the right side. Yep. Um, but they've got a, a fairly significant anterior orientation on the left. Yes, sir. Is, is there a scenario where you might have to just reduce that anterior orientation on the left first to just before you move them back to the left, like push from right to left because that you have that no space? Does that question make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, so by moving them from right to left, is that reducing the orientation? You're going to start to, yeah, yeah. Because again, the spine's going to turn. All right. Yeah. Um, have a conversation with Ian. Because Ian, Ian's really into the spine these days. <laughs> so Ian, as the spine turns away to the right, okay, I get a side bend in the opposite direction that it's turning. You understand? Yes. Okay. And I don't care. I'm trying to. <laughs> <laughs> it's turning. So it closes, it closes the space. So I'm turning to the right side, bending to the left by Friat's laws. Non-neutral, non-neutral mechanics, right? Um, and even though I just said the N-word, made, made me a little sick to my stomach. Thanks a lot. <laughs> sorry, sorry to do that to you. So late for the call. <laughs> No, but it's like, it's like, that's what, that's what I want you to see. It's like, it's like all of these things, like all of the, all of the descriptions of, of the, the spinal mechanics that have shown up in literature are, are, are it's okay, but they're trying, they're trying to fit it into a, a, a planar model, which is, which again, just creates a massive amount of confusion. If you just look at this thing as helical angles, it's like, boom, it becomes like crazy easy. You just go, oh, this one's going down and in this way. Guess what? If I turn it up and out this way, that moves them in this direction. And that's all you're doing. Right. So um, what you could actually do here, uh, Zach, like just the quickest thought possible, a uh, right to left uh, cable lift. You see it? Yeah. And then you might get a big bang out of it. Like you might get a whole lot. My, my, my head always goes right to left, like slide drag. Is there something different about the cable lift per se, as opposed to like, I feel like maybe... Oh, you're gonna get the you're gonna get the thorax a little bit more. What? What's it? Look, look, look at look at where I finish. Yeah. You see it? Yeah. See what I just did? Did I did I just give you like the entire solution in one fell swoop? Maybe. I guess we'll find out. Well, so. right, like I said, and and that's the, that is the correct answer. It's like big fat, maybe. In fact, right? Yeah. It's like you don't know whether they can do this or not, but at least you understand the concept. Yeah. Right. You understand? It's like oh, so. So here, so here you go. Uh, uh, Ian, pay attention. Um, hang on, hang on. All right. So Ian and Zach. So this is for you guys. All right. So every vertebra is just a little man. It's got two arms and two legs, okay? Where's Taya? Is Taya still on the call? There you go. Okay. So anatomical position. Boom. Right. Okay. So Zach, here's the spine that you just talked about. You see it. Okay. 
So I'm gonna do a right to left cable lift. There it is. You see the turn? Yeah. Okay, but do you see that I'm turning on a helical angle? Okay. So as I turn this way, Ian, I'm gonna do that. See it? As I hit the constraint. So I gotta to go to the end. So I can turn like this and then I start to hit the constraint and then I go down and in like that. That's the magnified IR. You see it, Zach? Yeah. Okay. And so I'm just gonna turn the mechanics. So I'm gonna take my IR representation and I'm gonna move it into an ER helical angle. See it? And in doing so, I create the ER up this away. You see it? So then like for that cable chop, wide versus narrow, like maybe for a wide, you don't have the cable like starting as low and they're not chopping as high versus the narrow starts lower, come a little bit like up more over the shoulder. Yes. You got it. 